Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Luke tells us it was the beginning of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. So they're in a hurry. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed. They saw the tomb and how the body was laid. They returned to prepare spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. So they had to hurry. They lay him on this anointing stone, this slab. They anoint his body what they can. They get him into the tomb. But then they have to wait a whole day because Shabbat's starting for the Jews at 6 p.m. So it won't be over. They have to wait a whole day before they can get to the tomb. And you know, they're chopping at the bit. They love Jesus. They want to go give him a proper anointing of his body, these women. And they are the seven myrrh-bearing women in the Bible. And we piece all the scriptures together. All the gospel accounts have to be pieced together. But Mary Magdalene, Mary the wife of Cleophas, Joanna the wife of Herod Steward, Salome the mother of James and John, Zebedee's wife, Susanna, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, and Martha, the sister of Lazarus. So we see a perfection of seven women coming to the garden to anoint his body. When one woman, Eve, was in the garden and she fell, seven women will come to anoint the new Adam back in the garden again. Now, some of the accounts have there be eight myrrh-bearing women. So I thought, who is the eighth one? And I found this painting, and the eighth one is Mary, Theotokos. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Did you ever wonder when did she find out that he rose? It's not in the scriptures. We just have to imagine. But surely Jesus, in this painting, Jesus goes to her first and and shows himself that he has risen from the grave before the other women. Mary Theotokos, the eighth myrrh-bearing woman. You can imagine her putting her son in the tomb and, and kissing him goodbye the last time before they roll the stone over. And she says goodbye. So she wrapped him in linen in Luke chapter 2 and laid him in a manger. And now she'll wrap him in linen and lay him in a tomb. So from the womb to the tomb and the linen and the linen. This is the tomb, the actual picture of the front part of the tomb. There's a huge painting of the risen Christ above the tomb. And now we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, these women who are so anxious, they wake up at the crack of dawn. They went to the tomb. And taking the spices, which they had prepared, because they're going to give him a proper anointing, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And they went in, but they did not find the body. They did not find the body. When they left, that stone was over, and now they've come back. We can piece together from Matthew 17 that the next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests, the Pharisees, gathered before Pilate. And they said, Sir... We remember how that imposter said while he was still alive that after three days he would rise again. Therefore, order the sepulcher to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people that he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. And so they begged Pilate to secure that tomb with guard. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. No one stole the body. When the women get there, the stone is off. This painting shows the guards under the, like, they've fallen over dead or they've, you know, they're sleeping or or they've, whatever. 
They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in and did not find a body. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. They were frightened and they bowed their heads, their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? The angels know this. Remember how he told you? While he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Remember, he told you that. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary, Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women, and them who told this to the apostles. There's quite a few of them, women, plural. We don't know how many, but we know women. And we know that the men did not find them credible. They said, this is an idle tale. You can imagine all these women. And the men didn't believe it. And they will be upbraided by Jesus Christ later. The men would be for not believing the witness of the women. Luke is always elevating women. Women are credible witnesses. Back then they weren't, but now we are. (laughs) So really... In the Jewish patriarchal society, a witness had to be three males. Sometimes they could do two. It's in, it's in the Old Testament. Sometimes there could be two, but they prefer three. It had to be men. Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Interesting. Hmm. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home wondering what had happened. Hmm. That very day, two of them were walking to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. That very day, two of them were walking. It doesn't tell us who, which two. We know later that one is Cleopas, it tells us, but we don't know who the second one is. Some scholars speculate that it could be Cleopas's wife. She might have been one of the women. They might have been walking home, visiting about the events. Others think it may have been Peter. We'll see. He was mentioned later in this passage. Talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing things together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That's a curious sentence. Their eyes were kept. It's almost as if they were prevented. Something is keeping them from recognizing him. Their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. And in my prayer with this passage, I wondered how often are my eyes kept from recognizing Jesus? How often are my eyes kept from recognizing Jesus? Because he's everywhere. He's in all things. My eyes are sometimes kept from seeing him and recognizing him in every person, in every living being. Our eyes are sometimes kept from recognizing Jesus alive in someone else. So their eyes are kept from recognizing him. It's as if they're veiled. And Jesus said to them, what is this conversation which you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? How he's so tricky, isn't he? (laughs) And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one. We were hoping that he was the one, the Messiah, that was going to redeem Israel. Oh, we had such great hope. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since this has all happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. 
they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. And they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that Jesus was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found just as the women had said, but Jesus, they did not see. And Jesus said to them, Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now, you know, just in Luke alone, he's given three very definite passion predictions. Three in Matthew, three in Mark, three in Luke. And so he had told them point blank when they walked to them way back in Luke 9, he charged and commanded them to tell these things to no one saying that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Whoop. Son of man is to be delivered into the hands of men. And in Luke 18, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, said Jesus. Everything that is written of the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles. He will be mocked. He will be shamefully treated. He will be spat upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. He told them pretty clearly. Not only did their eyes not recognize him, their ears did not hear him. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things that concerned himself. Wow. Moses' five books, the Torah, all the prophets, sign me up for that Bible study. Because that would have been the most amazing Bible study on the face of the earth. Because Jesus himself is telling them everything, all the connections. And remember this, and remember this, and then I did this, and when I did this, that fulfilled that. And do you remember this? And do you remember when Isaiah said this? And do you remember when Jeremiah said And do you remember when Zechariah? Everything. Wouldn't that have been great? It's a canonical approach. And that's what Benedict asked us to use in Bible study. They only had the Old Testament, but he made, it's a unified Old Testament. And now we have 73 books with the New Testament, and we're asked to take a canonical approach. And all 73 books, different authors, different times, different genres, they're all one book. And we have to look at it as a whole. Because who is on every page of that one book? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures and things that concerned himself. Wow. And it set their hearts ablaze. Their hearts were set on fire. They were just lapping it up. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. Who is this guy? Oh my gosh, this is amazing. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he appeared to be going on further. But they constrained him, saying, Stay with us, stay with us, stay with us, stay with us, stay with us. Remember when he asked them to stay with him one hour in the Garden of Gethsemane? And now they want him to stay with them. Stay with us. And we want Christ to stay with us. When you're going through something really hard, you say, Christ, stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with us. It's getting towards evening. The day is far spent. Please stay. Please stay. They want him to stay so bad. Their hearts are burning. So he went in to stay with them. How merciful. Now, this is a sandwich and they're all hungry, but I'm saying this is a sandwich of mass. At the beginning of the Paschal mystery, we had the Holy Thursday, the institution of the Eucharist, and it was a mass. Now in Emmaus, at the end of the Passion, Jesus is going to have another Mass. So we have a Mass sandwich. Bread and bread, and then all the stuff that happened in between, okay? Because Luke is doing this intentionally to show us Mass, the highest prayer of the church. They were told in all the Gospels, at the institution of the first Mass, the first Eucharist, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it. Take, eat, this is my body. 
He said it in Mark. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it, and he said, take, this is my body. He said it in Luke 22. He took the bread when he had gave thanks. He blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so now, at Emmaus, they don't know who he is. They're just like, oh my gosh, he's blowing our mind with these scriptures. He took, he blessed, he broke, he gave. He was at table with them. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them. That's a mass, mass sandwich. He's doing mass. He's doing mass again and everything in between. Different authors handle it different. John has Mary Magdalene mistaking him for a gardener. What was Adam, the first Adam? A gardener. Here's a new gardener in a garden. And when she finds out it's Jesus, Mary, Raboni, and she wants to touch him, what does he say? Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't get attached to my glorified body because I'm going home. You're going to have to have me in the Eucharist. The way you're going to experience me is my body is, this will be my body, blessed, broken, and shared. You'll see. You'll see. Don't worry, Mary. Don't worry. You're going to have me forever. I'm going away, but I'm not going away. I'm going to stay. I'm not going to stay, but I am going to stay. Because I'll see you in the Mass. He's the new Adam. He's the new tree of life. And from him will be, what? The leaves that are the Eucharist for the healing of the nations. He, Jesus, will be the second out of the new tree of life, and he will have perpetual, eternal fruit. It will be medicine. It's called the medicine of immortality, because it makes you have eternal life. You have baptism, the water, you have blood, the Eucharist, both of them. Ezekiel predicted that their leaves will not wither, nor fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month, because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. From the temple of his side, the fruit will be food and their leaves for healing. John has the same thing in Revelation. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the river is the spirit, the the water of life, is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. It's perpetual. Trees don't bear fruit every month. This one does. It's the tree of life and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. It's universal for all this food. So when he sat at table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them. And guess what? Right when he broke it, what happened? They recognized him. They recognized him where? In the breaking of the bread. That's when they were. This is where we, too, recognize Jesus Christ fully present. When the bread at Mass is blessed, broken, and shared. And when that bread is broken, we recognize him there on the altar for us. John Chrysostom said when that bread is broken, the fraction of the bread is Christ distributing himself to the faithful. And in one of his liturgies, this is what he says, the Lamb of God is broken and distributed, broken but not divided. He is forever eaten, yet is never consumed, but he sanctifies those who partake of him. His Eucharist is healing us. It's sanctifying us. It's making us holy. It's never fully consumed because it's perpetual. We'll never run out of Eucharist unless we run out of priests who can transubstantiate the Eucharist in a valid priesthood, correct? The Agnus Dei at Mass, this is right off the bishop's website, USCCB, the Agnus Dei begins during which the priest celebrant breaks the host. That's when Jesus is broken at the Agnus Dei. The host used by the priest celebrant should be large enough so that at least some of the particles from it can be distributed to some of the people. Have you ever gone up for communion and you got one of the little triangle pieces that he just broke and you're like, oh, I got that one, you know? It's like, oh, they're all fully Christ. They're all fully Christ. But it is special when you get that one that he broke and put in there for us. 
After the priest celebrant places a small piece of the host into the chalice while he recites the accompanying prayer for the commingling. The priest genuflects, he shows the faithful the host held above the chalice or above a patent, and he invites them to communion, and we all recite, Lord, I am not worthy, but only say the word, and your servant shall be healed. After the faithful receive communion, if there's any extra precious blood, it has to be immediately consumed. It's precious. Every drop is Jesus. So Jesus went to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took, he blessed, he broke, and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him in the Eucharist, and he vanished out of their sight. He's gone. He pulled a Padre Pio. He's gone. (laughs) And they said to each other, I mean, think of that. I mean, they're all sitting there, and then he's gone. People miss that line. That's important. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road and when he opened up the scriptures to us? I mean, their hearts were on fire. So that's what mass is. Once again, first, he opens the word to us. We have the liturgy of the word. And we read the scripture. We read from the Old Testament. We read a psalm. We read from the New Testament. And then we stand and we incense and we stand before the gospel because it's preeminent in the Catholic Church because it's the words of Jesus Christ himself. And so we have the liturgy of the word, the true presence of God alive in the word. The four living creatures always surround the true presence of God all throughout the Bible. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the man, the lion, the ox, the eagle. They're all there. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And then we have the liturgy of the Eucharist, which is also the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Now made Jesus. And De Verbum. Pope Paul VI in 1965 wrote that the church has always venerated the divine scriptures as she venerates the body of the Lord, since especially in the sacred liturgy at the Mass, she unceasingly receives and offers to the faithful the bread of life from both the table of God's word and the table of Christ's body. So we need both, and that's shown. Luke shows us that at Emmaus. He's the only one that writes this story because he wants us to know it's Mass. The liturgy of the word, the liturgy of the Eucharist, our hearts burn within us. When the liturgy of the Eucharist starts, this part of the Mass, common people like us bring up the gifts to the altar made from human hands, and the ministers preparing the altar and the people bring forward the bread and wine that will become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The ordained priest blesses and praises God for these gifts and places them on the altar, the place of the Eucharistic sacrifice. And that Eucharistic prayer is the heart of the entire liturgy. And in this prayer, the celebrant acts in the person of Christ as the head of his body, the church. He gathers not only the bread and the wine, but the substance of our lives and joins them to Christ's perfect sacrifice, offering them to the Father. Did you know that? Not only the bread and wine, but the substance of our lives, the body of Christ. That is the time at the Mass where you put your kid in the chalice where you put your husband in the chalice, where you put your wife in the chalice, where you put your dreams, your desires, where you put your, you, I lost my job, you put it in the, in the chalice. He's taken all that to the Father. That is so beautiful. That's right from the bishop's website, that he gathers not only the bread and the wine, but the substance of our lives and joins them to Christ's perfect sacrifice and offers it to the Father. That's really powerful time in the Mass. Eucharistic prayer makes clear that these prayers are offered not to Christ, but to the Father. It's the worship offered to the Father by Christ as if it were at the moment of his passion, his death, and his resurrection. It's now offered to the priest acting in the person of Christ, offered as well by all the baptized who are now part of Christ's body, the church, his one flesh bride. He's the head, we're the body. 
It's a perfect sacrifice. It's his. It's his once for all sacrifice. It's that same sacrifice we're entering into. This is my body by the power of the Holy Spirit. The epiclesis calls down the Holy Spirit and it becomes the perfect sacrifice. So our sacrifice is imperfect, but joined with Christ's perfect sacrifice, ours becomes perfect and goes straight to the Father. They rose that same hour. They returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 gathered together. Those who were with them who said, the Lord is risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. That's why some think it was Simon on the road with Cleopas. Then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them. Where? In the breaking of the bread. He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. That's where we recognized him. That's where we knew him. We knew it was Jesus the moment he broke that bread. And as they were saying this, Jesus stood among them and he said, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened. They thought they had seen a spirit. Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you have questions rising in your hearts? Because remember, he can read hearts. See my hands? See my feet? It is I myself. Handle me. Touch me. This is his priesthood here. This is his priesthood. Like Thomas, stick your hand in my side. You're a priest. You're me. Mary Magdalene, don't touch me. You'll have me in a different way. For a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy, they wondered. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? I mean, is he hungry or does he want to show them that I'm a real body? You know, they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate it before them. Luke has to get that in the physician. This is a real body. It's a glorified body. They didn't recognize it. It looks different, but it has all the scars on it. It has the holes. It has the holes in his hands and his feet and his side. He lets them touch him and handle him and see him with all their senses. This is his priesthood. They're going to need this when the going gets tough, when they're up for martyrdom. They're going to need this witness. We saw him. I touched him. I smelled him. I tasted him. I felt him. Then he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He adds the Psalms there too. Good. Then he opened their eyes to understand the scriptures. Wow. And he said, sometimes that happens to you at Bible study. Your mind is illuminated that night. You understood something in a new way by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you were like, that's what they had. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer. And on the third day rise from the dead, that the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations. What does he want to preach? The forgiveness of our sins, that you're set free, that you're out of bondage, that you're not held down by Satan anymore. You're free. Forgiveness of sins. He came to set the captives free to all the nations. Tell this word, begin here in Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. Luke is Greek. He's writing in Greek. The Greek word for witness is martus. You will be my martyrs. That's what a witness is. One who dies for Christ. You think they're going to die for something that's not true? Are you going to put your life on the line for a, for a sham, for a joke, for a, for a, we hit the body, ha ha, we fooled them. No, you're not going to die for that. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That beautiful image to be clothed with power from on high. That'll be the Holy Spirit. And then he led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands. He blessed them. Stay with us, stay with us. What are you doing? Don't go, don't go. You know, you can imagine like, what, what's going on? What, what? And while he's blessing them, he parted from them and he was carried up into heaven. And they saw the whole thing and they worshiped him. 
Can you imagine? And they worshipped him. Can you imagine standing there? The artist can't even begin to capture it. I mean, they're standing there and he starts going up, 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 up. I mean, just think of that. And they worshipped him. You see the heavens opening to receive him. Now, Luke, who also wrote Acts, also does a second. Luke is good. He tells us about the ascension, not once, but twice. So when they had come together in Acts, they asked him, Lord, is this when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Is, is this the time now? And now are you going to do it? Now are you going to do it? After all this, he's risen from the dead. And now are you going to do it? You know? And he said, it's not for you to know times or seasons, which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power, that clothing from on high. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses right here in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and then to all the ends of the earth, I'm sending you. And when he had said this and they were looking up, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Wow. What must they have thought? How must they have felt? And while they were gazing into heaven and he went, behold, two men stood with them in white robes. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. And they returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. They were continually in the temple, blessing God, praising God, thanking God. And that ascension had to happen. It had to happen. It's part of the Paschal mystery. Because remember what he said in John's gospel. He spent three chapters telling them that if I don't go, I can't send him. Who's him? The counselor, the Holy Spirit. Oh, you're going to be, it's to your advantage that I go because then I can send him. And he's going to illuminate your minds and your hearts. And he's going to give you the courage and the strength you need to go forward. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so he has to go. He has to go. And he gave us the greatest gift. He finished the work of salvation. He sat down at the Father's right hand. It says in Hebrews, he sat down. The work of salvation was ended, finished perfectly. The father accepted the sacrifice. He sat down at the right hand of the father and the father elevated his name above every other name on heaven and earth or under the earth that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's a done deal. Amen. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, oh Jesus, we praise you, we thank you, we love you. We thank you for this wonderful gospel. St. Luke, thank you for writing this for us. Thank you for telling us about Mary. We never would have known her story. Thank you for telling about the women. We never would have known their story. Thank you for all the parables and the fun we had trying to figure them out. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for illuminating our minds and hearts and helping us understand the scriptures and making our hearts burn within us. Thank you, St. Luke, for being a faithful apostle, for traveling with Paul. All the things, all the sufferings of yours, we have no idea what you went through to bring us this beautiful gospel. We thank you, St. Luke. Pray for us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You just heard the conclusion of the Gospel of Luke on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.